It's good to look out and see a full auditorium this morning, to see so many folks who are visiting with us, and we're glad you're here, and we appreciate your attendance with us. I am exercising the preacher's prerogative this morning, that is, to change my mind about what I'm going to preach upon. Uh, I was going to preach upon the powerful proof of predictive prophecy, but uh, this Thursday it's going to be my privilege to be able to go to the power lectures in South Haven, Mississippi, and speak on the topic of elders must have a backbone. And so I decided to use some of that lesson this morning. Um, One of the reasons why I changed my topic was because in preparation I realized I had way too much material for one lesson. And so I thought, well, I'll just use this lesson for this week. The problem is I've got way too much material for this lesson as well. Uh, But since I'm getting to teach the auditorium class, whatever I don't cover in the lesson this morning, I'll try to cover part of that in the class uh, because I don't think there's any way I can get through. Let me begin with the emphasis of my admiration for godly elders. I have served under a number of good, faithful, godly men who love God and love the truth. And if we are what we ought to be as Christians, we will have a love and admiration and appreciation for those who shepherd God's flock. I will point out to you that in the Bible we are charged to know them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, And we urge you, brethren recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To recognize them indicates that we have to know who they are. We have to know them and their character. I suggest to you the Bible teaches that we're also to imitate and to follow them. If they are shepherds, they are leading, and as such we ought to be the followers of of where they are leading us, so long as they're leading us in truth. Hebrews 13 and verse 7, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. I really like the American Standard reading in that last phrase, imitate their faith. People who you ought to be able to use as a guide, as a pattern, as a mentor, if you will, to move toward heaven. And yes, the Bible does say that we are to obey them. In Hebrews 13 and verse 7, Obey those that rule over you, and be submissive to them, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, the problem is, is that sheep are vulnerable when they have no shepherd. When there's no one to watch for someone's soul, a sheep can just simply go astray. In Titus 1 and verse 5, as Brother Larry just read to us, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, wanting. There's a need there. 
in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 7 and 8. Ezekiel was a prophet looking forward to the coming of our Lord. But he was describing the situation that existed in his day. And he said, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord, surely because my flock has become a prey, and my flock has become food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd. Nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed the flock. You see, if there are no shepherds, the sheep are praise for the predators of the field. You see, we have a problem today in the Lord's church of division and digression. We have many congregations that have decided they're going to just simply throw the Bible aside and do whatever they wish to do. Many problems could be solved with strong elderships who would look at men and others who would try to introduce division Introduce digression and say, that will not pass here. And they deserve the strong backing of a faithful congregation. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. This is a good passage for you to look up. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32 for just a moment. And I want you to remember what happened when Moses descended from Mount Sinai. As Moses is coming down off of the mountain, he's hearing a great noise in the camp. Is it war? What is going on? And as he arrives, he sees the children of Israel participating in an idolatrous worship. As he gets there, he puts Aaron on the hot seat and says, Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron disclaims his responsibility and tells Moses the people wanted to do this. The people wanted to do that. When you get to verse 25, Aaron did not restrain the people. He didn't provide leadership. He didn't provide guidance. He didn't provide direction that he was supposed to provide. And then when you get to verse 26, and Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Whenever we have godly men stand up like Moses did and say, Come over to my side. No, he didn't say come to my side. He said, Whoever is on the Lord's side. You see, godly leaders need a congregation of people who understand the Lord's side and they're willing to gather to them. So here's what we want to cover in our lesson. I think we might be able to cover the first two points of this to look at some characteristics of godly pastors. I chose that term carefully. Number two, I want to look at a consideration of a specific text I was assigned Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. That verse needs to be understood in its context. And then finally, a case study of the Ephesian elders. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at this idea that it was God's design to have 
godly pastors. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 11. As Paul is describing the great church in which our Lord had in his mind. God had a plan. He knew what he wanted to do. And it says in verse 4, And he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers. We'll talk about the word pastor in just a moment. But I want you to observe God gave. He himself gave. This was his plan. Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom or among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit made you overseers. You see, this is God's design. This is God's plan that this is to be the way the Lord's church is directed. Because God was able to look down and see us as we really are. Isaiah 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. Or Jeremiah 10 verse 23, O Lord, it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Judges 21 and verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You turn people loose. You provide no guidance for them. And where do you end? You end with everybody going in every direction doing anything that they want to do. For just a moment, I'd like to talk to you about the terminology that we use. You see, in the Lord's church sometimes we have allowed the denominational world to drive us away from some titles to the point where sometimes we only use one biblical designation to the exclusion of all the others. For instance, when we talk about the Lord's church, we generally say the church of Christ. But do you know the Bible uses the term the church of God? The church of the firstborn? Simply the church? We need to make sure that we are not so exclusive of using biblical terminology. And you see, when it comes to talking about those men who shepherd over us, we generally use one term. And it is a scriptural term. There's nothing wrong with it. In Acts 20 and verse 17... From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, Peter says, The elders who are among you I exhort, who am a fellow elder. You see, that's a term to describe people of age and experience. And it comes from the word presbyteros, from which we get the word presbyter or presbytery. But there's another word used in the same context to describe these same men, and it's the term overseer, or if you're reading some translations, bishop. The term bishop is a correct scriptural biblical designation. In Acts 20 and verse 28, 
Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. Or some translations use the word bishops. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. You see, this is a term to describe what they do. It describes not only their age from elder, but this describes the fact that they oversee like they're a superintendent. They watch over others under their care. But then there's the third term that is used in Acts 20 and verse 28 as well as 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. The New King James translates it as shepherd. The original King James translates it as feed. It's from an original word, poimenao. And it means, again, this time to shepherd like a shepherd would shepherd his flock. The verb form is there, and then there's the other form of it, which is translated pastor in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Let me tell you that godly pastors, godly elders, godly overseers show courage when defending the flock. If you go to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, David is ready to face Goliath. But I like the way David looks back and he talks about his role as a shepherd of sheep. He said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Do you see what kind of courage David had? So many people said, well, if they want a lamb, let them have a lamb. No, that's not the way David thought. He said, I'm going to be courageous. I am going to deliver that lamb. Verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord deliver me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. I could spend a lot of time talking about the qualifications. That's not my purpose in this lesson. They're found in Titus 3, verses 1 through 7, and or excuse me, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Brother Larry just read that just a few moments ago. They are qualified individually. That is, each one who serves must meet these qualifications, but they function as a group, as a body, not individually. We always see the group of men serving as elders as we see very plainly in Acts chapter 15. I think it's important to understand the courage that these men need as they stand up and lead God's people. When God gave Joshua the job that Moses had, he told him to be, in Joshua 1 and verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Notice the courage is not only to lead God's people, but the courage is to do what God's Word says. 
when Joshua becomes an old man and he is turning the reins over to a new generation of men who are going to lead God's people, therefore be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. You see, there is the passing of responsibility that requires courage. These are also men of conviction. To say that you're convinced means that you know what is right and you will always give it that place of prominence. When Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You see, godly elders, godly pastors, one of their characteristics is they stand behind the Bible knowing that that book right there is inspired of God. When Paul departed from those Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 32, he said, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Not only are they to be men of courage, men of conviction, but they have to be men of compassion as well. As they look upon those who are under their care and see the many times that they have to kindly, gently, carefully bring them back into the flock, in Galatians 6 and verse 1 and 2, Brethren, if one is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted, and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see an example of what one ought not to do in Luke chapter 9, verses 54 through 56. They're traveling through a Samaritan village. The village people don't want Jesus to come. James and John said, Lord, do you want us to call down or command fire to come down out of heaven and consume them as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked and said to them, You do not know what manner spirit you are of. You see, good godly pastors are compassionate men who want to save every soul. For just a few minutes now, I'd like you to go with me to the book of Titus, and I really want to focus on verses 9, and we'll go about through verse 16. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. This was my assigned text. And he says about these men, after having given their qualifications holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. I'd suggest to you the needs at Crete were no different there than anywhere else. 
What kind of needs did they have? Well, there were things that needed to be set in order. When you come to a congregation of God's people, do you not need men who know the book, who can put things in order so that our worship is acceptable to God? There were false teachers that were preying upon the weak, the uninformed. Who's going to protect them when someone is going to come in and try to lead them astray? You need qualified men capable of handling the challenges. They needed it then, and believe me, the Lord's church needs it today. Well, look at the context. Let's look at verses 10 through 16. He said, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess to know God, but by their works or in their works, they deny Him being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. I want you to notice the first thing that they have to have is the knowledge and the ability to address these challenges. One of the words that he is going to use is the word here, convict, found in verse 9 and verse 13. Convict those who contradict. Rebuke them sharply. That original word is the word that describes, and I'm going to quote the dictionary here so you can get it, to scrutinize, to examine carefully, to bring to light, to expose, to set forth, to bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing, to convict, convince someone of something, point something out to someone, to express strong disapproval of someone's actions, to reprove, to correct to penalize for wrongdoing, to punish, to discipline. You see, it's the role of those shepherds in this context to take people and show them where they're wrong. And here's what Paul reveals. He tells us in this context who they are, what they are doing, why they're doing it, and how to respond to it. Here's what he says. Here's who they are. They are unruly, the new, original King James, insubordinate, New King James, rebellious, New American Standard. These are people who, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, they despise authority. Jude verse 8, they reject authority. There are people who, in their mind, they don't have to do what anybody says to do. But you see, God it chose in the home that you would have a mother and a daddy. 
in the government, he chose that you would have a ruler. And in the Lord's church, God chose these shepherds. And these people are saying, we don't want to do what you're telling us we ought to do to save our souls. They are idle talkers. The Greek lexicon here puts for this word windbag. And you know what kind of people these are? Second Peter 2 and verse 18 says, For they speak great swelling words of emptiness. When they get through talking, they've not said anything. In Jude verse 16, they are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain, to gain advantage. What they're trying to do is they're trying to say things that have no spiritual benefit, but all they're trying to do is just to suck you in. They are deceivers. They're not just deceivers. They know what they're doing. First Timothy 4 and verse 2 talks about those who speak lies in hypocrisy. What are they doing? They're subverting households. That means families like yours. They're coming in and they're getting one of the family members to believe this or to believe that and they're taking that whole household and they're subverting, undermining them. Just like 2, Peter, or 2 Timothy 2.18 says, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed and overthrow the faith of some. Yes, you can teach something false and make people believe it, and cause them to lose their souls. Why are they doing it? Paul says, for the sake of dishonest gain. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Jude, verse 11, Revelation 2, and verse 14, all talk about Balaam, who loved the hire of wrongdoing, the wages of unrighteousness. He's out here trying to just get money. And you see, this is so insidious that you can take even the most godly men and you can undermine them with it. When Paul writes, or Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, talking about elders, and when Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, he's talking to both elders and preachers. Beware of the love of money, beware of dishonest gain. Well, let me finish up by talking about how do you respond to the troublemakers. Their mouths must be stopped. You've got to take away their audience. You don't let them have an opportunity to speak to the congregation. You don't let them have an opportunity to sow discord among your members. Second John says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes into you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. When someone comes to your house and says, I want to tell you something, and it's contrary to God's word, say, no, you can't come here. We're not going to receive you. The second thing he says to them is to rebuke them sharply. The word means severely, rigorously. 
That means that you don't let a person get by with just saying anything. You have to challenge them. And it's in the present imperative. That means you keep on challenging them. As long as they keep on trying to teach the false doctrine, you keep on putting it right back at them. But you don't do it and say, look, we have slain the dragon. We have this false teacher. We put him in his place. No, he says, so that they may be sound in the faith. The goal is to save the sheep. Is to save the sheep. And then finally, to reject the things that compete with the truth. He talks about the fables, the Jewish fables, and the commandments of men. He says, which turn men from the truth. In Matthew 5, verses 7 through 9, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 22, all talk about the commandments of men. Folks, I hope that you let our elders here know that you appreciate them, that you appreciate the work that they do. Sometimes you are unaware of the fact that they are constantly on their guard of trying to protect this flock, trying to seek out and recover the lost sheep. And the reason why they do this, not only because they love God and they love the congregation, they want you to go to heaven just like God does. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, God would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That means that you are important. Everyone is important. Jesus tasted of death for every man, Hebrews 2 and verse 9. The question is for you is, am I a Christian? If you're not, we'd love to assist you this morning being obedient to the gospel, believing in Christ, repenting of your sins. Come confess that faith and be baptized. If you are a Christian and you're living a life that is a life of hypocrisy. You're trying to show yourself one way, but you know you're really living another. Why not come home? Why not come home? While together we stand and say,